I'm always um, so grateful for you, um, that you're so vulnerable with your stories, and some of you are like, I'd never do that. Um, and they never thought that they would be able to do that. I especially wanted Katie to know how grateful I was for her to um, allow for Jason. In fact, it was her idea. She said, we cannot waste this story. And um, Katie, uh, his wife, emailed me this week and said, if there's anybody here that's on the other side of that, and uh, as the wife um, of maybe a guy who's struggled with that addiction, is open up about that, she said, could you just give them my name and my phone number? And so uh, the phone number... <laughs> that we're just in a place that is just like, man, we want to help each other and we want to be real. I, I grew up in an atmosphere where um, this whole conversation just never happened. <laughs> never happened in church. Um, did not happen in my family unless we got caught doing something naughty. And I just thought sex was naughty and sex was dirty. And, uh, and it can be, can it? It's, uh, it's weird that... God has given us this amazing thing. He's the author of it and the authority on the subject. It's his idea, and it has such power um, to destroy and be enjoyed. And he gave us this gift, and uh, it's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's terrible. And, um, and the verse that we're going to look at today, I just love that it's just talked about, um, and God doesn't mince words, and um, he has a path for us to walk. I invited my wife since um, I needed a heavy hitter to talk about this subject. Um, I dialed her number, had her people talk to my people, and uh, she agreed for a, a large stipend to come and, Wait, uh, and join me. <laughs> Wait, no, you're not getting paid for this. Sorry about that. Um, I want to read this passage and then we're going to dive into what God sort of put on our heart to talk about. Um, there's so many directions to go with this. Um, but more than anything, I'm just asking that God's spirit will just open up our hearts today um, so that we can hear his spirit's whisper to us. The passage we're reading this week, we read in First and Second Thessalonians and then we read in First Corinthians and uh, it's mentioned in Thessalonians as well, but in 1 Corinthians 6, um, Paul talks about it with this group of people who are in Corinth. And Corinth was just a sexualized city, big time. So much so that it was so connected to worship and spirituality that they would go to the temples and in order to worship their gods, they would have sex with prostitutes and virgins. So you can imagine when Paul was going to the city and they were having converts that were converting to Christianity, they were really, really messed up with, wait a minute, worship was sex and sex was worship, and we were really messed up with spirituality and sexuality all being sort of interwoven together and tangled. And so he had to write to them about ideas that they had to debunk those ideas and give God's purposes. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, we'll start there and just read some scripture and then we'll talk about it. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Every time you see these quotation marks, it was prevailing thoughts of the day, the culture, or of the church at that time. I have the right to do anything, 
so I'm hearing you're saying, but I won't be mastered by anything, Paul said. And you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that the one who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So flee from sexual immorality. The word for sexual immorality in the Greek is pornea. From porn, or where we get the word fornication. Pornea. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. I don't really honestly fully know what that means. And all kinds of commentators have all kinds of ideas, but there is something about this particular sin that has a uniqueness to it in the scriptures um, that does something different to us. Do you not know that your temple or your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own, you're bought with a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Now for the matters you wrote about, here's another thing they started saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I would not have been in that life group, right? But this is what was coming out of the church. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. He's giving them premarital counseling. He's giving them marriage counseling. And likewise, a wife to her husband. This is a duty. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Surrender. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent, means you've talked about it, mutually come to agreement, and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come back together again, sleep together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I mean, that's getting real. I mean, we're talking about a duty, we're talking about depriving each other, we're talking about devotion, we're talking about a covenant that you make with each other and this vow that you make to give your life and to surrender your life and to give authority of your life and yield it to your wife. And I don't know, what do you hear when you hear this sort of, I surrender authority of myself and yield it to me well, and vice versa? Um, when, when we were in our premarital counseling, there was a couple that we met with and um, there, was, there were a couple times that we would split up and she and I would just meet by ourselves. And um, I only remember a couple of things from that that um, we've stuck with throughout our marriage. And um, one of them was she just said, she shared that scripture with me. And um, it, this is so awkward for me to share, but I just feel like it's so important for everybody to know in their marriage. And in fact, after the service last night, so many people talked to me about it. And 
Um, and that is that I just, I just felt a commitment from the very beginning and I made a commitment that um, when he wants to have sex, we're having sex. Um, partly because I don't want him, <laughs> but <laughs> I know. But, but partly because I don't want him to have an excuse to look elsewhere. Um, and I don't want that to come back on me. If there is a time that his eyes wander or his heart wanders, I don't want, I don't want to bear the, the brunt of that. And, um, and there are times though too that, that he'll be in the mood for it and I'm like, I, I'm not, I promise I will never make this up, but I don't feel good. Can we just postpone like for another night or another day? But, um, you know, and that, that's a mutual consent also. And he's never been like, um, you promised. Um, or you owe me. Because all that would do is be, I mean, I, he will tell you one thing I do not do well with is when people tell me what to do. It's a problem, I know. But I'm yeah. like, as soon as he's telling me it's what to do, I'm like, sin problem. nope. It's a sin problem. <laughs> I, I need to share the other side of that is that if someone has this idea as a man or a woman, it's like, well, your body is mine, says it in the Bible. Then you're approaching it selfishly and you have not yielded your heart and soul and body to her. Because your body is hers too. And can I add this and other no, awkward No, not statement? yet. I want to say something. Of, no, okay, yeah, you can. Okay. Um, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> um, I, I can honestly say too that Again, awkward. He's the one that's so good at doing this awkward stuff and talking awkward. And that's kind of why I thought I was here is just to kind of shut him down sometimes. Like, <laughs> no, we're not saying that. But um, the times that like my heart is not there or because um, I just don't really feel a connection or I'm tired or whatever the reason is that I don't feel like it, God honors that for me. And mm -hmm. there are times that I've seriously gone into like, Lord... I'm just, I, you know my heart, you know I'm tired, but um, I have learned not just in the area of sex and marriage and relationships, but other areas of my life, when I am faithful and obedient, even when I don't feel like it, um, God honors that. Mm. And I just feel like he's really honored that in our marriage and even just individually between me and him. Yeah. And I just, I listen to her, like if she's had a long day with the kids, working, um, I don't think I'm... Um, better than she is, like I've had a harder day, you need to you know, relieve my pressure, be my release, like I want to meet her needs and if her needs are space and she doesn't have energy, I yield my authority to her and say you matter more to me than I mean to me. And that's a, that's a, that's a tall order. That's different than I think what they were hearing in Corinth. That's a different kind of marriage. And I think it's, we'll talk about this at the end if we can get to it and go into that a little bit more. I, I was struck with some of the phrases that Paul was hearing in that day coming out from the culture and even the church culture. Um, the three of them, and you can put all three of them up, I have the right to do anything was a prevailing ideology of the day. It was an idea that became an ideology that was starting to become their theology. I have the right to do anything. Uh, the next one was food for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy them both. And then the last one, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, all in a few paragraphs, you go from 
pretty much permissive. I have the right to do anything I want because sexuality and spirituality have nothing to do with each other. All the way down to, I'm going to dismiss this desire, I'm gonna disown this desire, I'm gonna live in denial of this desire and pretend like it's not a big deal and completely deprive myself. How, does, how do people go from one ditch on one side of the road, which I can do anything I want, it's no big deal, all the way over to um, I'm not going to do anything. I can do anything and I'm gonna do nothing because we are creatures, that's what we do with this. We justify. We justify. We're, we're, it's so powerful, we either want to get rid of it all. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've heard down through the years, especially in those early years of 16 to 25, that are like, it's so raging inside of me, I just wish God would take it all away because I don't even know how to interact on this planet without it dominating obsessively, compulsively my thinking and my, my marriage and my life. It's screwing everything up in my life. And they go to this, and God's like, you can't do that with this. This was meant for something. Let's have a conversation. Let me share with you the gift and the power of this gift. Now, when you hear, the, I have the right to do anything, just how that permissiveness in the culture, how does that hit you? Um, well, the, the phrase, um, it's not that big of a deal, mm. kind of strikes me with that. It, that's, that's the line in the garden that brought sin into our world, where Eve was like, oh, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And then she did that, and it changed our lives forever. Just like, I think that's, I think that's the line that we play in our head before we are about to sin, or after we just did. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And Satan's like, yes, I won that. And I mean, this goes into like dating relationships before you're married even. Like, and I'm not saying no hold, holding hands or anything like that, but it's like, that's not that big of a deal. And Satan's like, I gotcha, because I know what's next. And I know it's next, and I know it's next. If you don't have your mind and your heart in check with the Lord and knowing the boundaries and knowing like, um, just the temptation that is around the corner, we dated for four years, and there were times that we had to be like, don't touch me, because I just know where, where this is going to lead, and we still have two more years before we're going to get married. And mostly it was me just saying, could you get off me? <laughs> and I was just like, what is your deal? No, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't. Yeah. That, but I, you know. That's how it went. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I do think that there are things in our culture, I know that there are things in our culture that feed us that we say it's not that big of a deal. And I even think about like when our girls were little, do you guys know the show Caillou? I hate that show. <laughs> But there are times that I would be in a groove getting stuff done and I would hear the show come on and just be like, it's not that big of a deal. The girls can watch it. I'm not kidding you. It would ruin the rest of our day. That kid on, if you don't know Caillou, it is constant whiny, whiny, whiny voice and it affected them. Mm. They would say it doesn't, but it did and it changed their behavior. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but like, a good example is like Friends, the, the show Friends. Everybody loves it. I mean, everybody talks about it. Everybody's watching the reruns and everything. Do you know that there are approximately 138 sex partners throughout that whole series? And we say it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't affect me, but it does. And part of it is they make it on that show like it's not a big deal. It's recreational, and then they just can move on to the next person and the next person. But that's TV. They're not going to give you the reality of what happens after. And how that takes a little piece of your heart each time and damages your future relationships. Yeah. And so that's why food for the stomach, stomach for the food was the next one. 
basically it was, they were equating it like this is not a spiritual issue. And when I'm hungry, I eat. And when I want to have sex, I just feed that desire. And they, they saw it just like food. God gave us this desire. We just go out and we feed the desire. And then we're not hungry anymore. And he's like, no, it's, it's more powerful than that. It doesn't work like that. It's, it's not food for the stomach, stomach for the food. Body is for sex and sex is for the body. He's like, that's, that's a different um, ideology. And I want, I want to break you from that. And one of the things that struck me as I was going down through is he, in four different ways, told the people that their body was not their own. He said, and this is a radically different idea introduced about our physical and our sexual bodies. Your body isn't yours anymore. It belongs to the body of Christ. Your bodies are the members of Christ himself. When you become a part of the church, there's a responsibility I have to you and accountability I have to you and you have to me that I've surrendered myself to the very body of Christ, the members of Christ himself, which is us. And so accountability is just huge. Then he goes on and says, your body isn't yours anymore. You were purchased by Jesus. You're not your own. You're bought with a a price. Jesus Christ paid for your life with his very blood. You are his. He owns you now. He has purchased you. And then you're not your own anymore. You're the home of the Holy Spirit. Um, Don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Be careful what you let into your body. Be careful what you do with your body. Be careful what you see with your ears and you hear and you think this is the residence of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And then the next one is your body isn't yours. It's yielded to your spouse. And I just was like, wow, he's nailing home like you're the body of Christ. Stay accountable and responsible. You are purchased by Jesus Christ. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the one that presides and resides in your heart. And you are not your own. You are your spouse's. You have yielded your authority to your spouse. That complete selflessness about this thing that is so selfish. And we are so indulgent, self-indulgent with in our culture. I had a conversation with somebody last night and um, she said one thing that has really affected their marriage is her body image. And um, she said she's always been like, no, 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 when he wants sex because of her body image. And, and, and it struck me like, I mean, I hear that a lot. I've struggled with that a lot. Mm. But if he wants you, you're becoming selfish when you're worried about your body image. Like he wants that body. He wants... And I, I don't know, I just think our culture has made us think that we have to be this perfect size two with all the perfect curves and everything. And that's not what he, your husband is asking for. And if he is, then that's a whole nother problem. But yeah, that's his problem. He, yeah, that is his problem. And if he, um, he wants you, he wants you. So let him enjoy, enjoy you, you enjoy him. I, I, I just feel really sad about that, partly because I've struggled with it, and I see even teenage girls struggling with the whole body image thing, and I think it has really, really ruined um, just hmm. sex and what God, God meant for it. But if you're holding back because of how you feel about your body and your husband wants you, then all of a sudden, that whole, like, I've given myself to you, you've taken it back. Does that make sense? Yeah. One thing that we wanted to go through that we're passionate about getting through um, and we'll move right along on this, is just the stages of an affair, the st- subtle stages of an affair. And um, after 21 years of marriage, actually 
feeling some of these stages happen to me firsthand, and then some of these stages, seeing them happen to other people that I love um, and have counseled. So we're just gonna walk through these real quick and then get to the end. Um, the subtle stages of an affair, first one um, is feeling like you're underappreciated or overlooked, which then leads to a second one, which is sensing a dissatisfaction or an emotional vulnerability. And then the third one, the loss of verbal um, communication that leads to the loss of sexual connection. They sort of go in that order. Um, that emotional vulnerability, I remember you were talking one time when you came home from the Y, and it woke me up because I had this sense that it was like I struggle sometimes with lust or, you know, bouncing eyes, and she'll ask me about that and, and um, keep me accountable with that. But um, I just remember one day she came home and there was this emotional vulnerability. Share. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize how vulnerable I was. Um, and we have pretty open communication, but um, I've, I've shared with him at different times, like, I just, I just need affirmation from you. I need to know not just that you love me because you want to touch me. Like, I want to hear you say, mm -hmm. what do you love about me? You know, and not even just physically, like who I am as a person and, and that kind of thing. Um, I just, I need to hear that from you sometimes. And he's kind of been at the mindset, like, but I told you that once, you know? <laughs> And um, <laughs> I've never said it that way, but he's really yeah. good at writing stuff to me. And so I, I can't, I'm, I'm not complaining because I know I have it good, but I, there was just a vacancy in my heart. And honestly, I think there's a part too where my heart was not connected to God, where my identity was more in what he was saying to me, Jason was, rather than what I know God sees to be true about me. Um, anyway, I'm at the Y and some guy said something to me that, was a compliment, and I had no idea like how much um, I. You're starving. I, yeah, I was starving for that, and I came home and I just said, I just need to tell you, like, someone said something to me. Of course, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not going to be stupid and respond like that. But like, I got home and was like, that meant way too much, and it shouldn't mean that much to me. But the reason it did is because yeah. there. I'm not receiving it from you. Yeah, I remember that conversation. She says, you think you're the only one that struggles? Do you think you're yeah, the only one? Yeah, maybe I wasn't as nice no, as I No, no, I'll, I'll tell them how it really went. She's like, do you think you're the only one that could be the demise of this relationship? You think you're the only one that would be pursued and you're the only one that could be pulled away and have adultery? Let me know. Let me tell you. That could happen to me too. This. Yo, you were. You were doing this. And I was, I, I woke up. It was like, holy cow. I did honestly think if anything was going to happen, it would be me. I, I just did not think that my wife was vulnerable because of me leaving a vacancy or a void in her heart. And that's my bad. And I think just the nature of the industry I'm in or my job is I'm encouraging people all day long in verbal affirmation, verbal. So I come home and I'm just tired of doing that. It'd be like a guy that's like, I do landscaping all day long and I hate doing landscaping when I get home. That is something I've got to discipline myself to say. I got to come home and offer what I just offered everybody all day long. And I don't sometimes and I'm sorry for that. And but that is something that we've realized, that emotional vulnerability. Four is the fantasizing about relational or romantic encounters with others. And this is where I think pornography comes in or lust 
of other people undressing people with your eyes can come in with guys um, with women it could just be um, sort of romantic affairs inside of their heads romance novels 50 shades of gray it's crazy I don't think women are um, not being pursued in a sexualized culture in their own way now and um, for me when I think of this, I think this is where a lot of people, like pornography comes in and that was a part of my past growing up and it was that dirty little secret and coming into marriage, you just think it's gonna go away. And I remember um, just, you know, not struggling with that, having good accountability, but it was about four years ago, coming out of, uh, I think it was around this season in January and she's good about asking me you know, have you struggled with lust lately? Have you seen anything or looked at anything lately? Well, that always keeps me in check. And um, it just so happened, she hadn't asked for probably six months. I couldn't even remember the last time she asked. And it just so happened the week before that there was a link on my phone and I clicked on the link and what came up was a video. And instead of just swiping away or clicking off the video, I actually, in curiosity, just felt vulnerable and I, I looked at that and then was seized with just sort of a, a sense of guilt and fear and um, remorse. And when she asked me that, I, had, I literally felt like I wanted to lie to her because I didn't want to hurt her. But we've made a, uh, a vow to not lie to each other. And so I shared with her and kind of broke her heart. And well, this is interesting because this, just this week I knew I, wanted to kind of share that, but I hadn't shared with my daughters yet, and I've been very open with my daughters about our past, but they were, you know, 13 and, and 11 and nine at the time, and I just shared with my daughters yesterday on the phone, and when I shared with Cammie, she was at college, she just, there was a long pause, and I just started crying. And I did not realize that, that I hadn't confessed to them. And then I shared with, with Tay and Allie yesterday afternoon, because they're gonna be at the next service. And, and I just apologized and I, I just told them how sorry I am. And it just felt so shameful to tell your daughters especially, but an embarrassing. But, and I, I, do, I do feel like I want to say I'm sorry to you as well. Uh, I did go to Ryan next week and I told Chris Conrad who's over me and my spiritual authority because it just, uh, it's, it's really been on my heart a lot the last day, but in particular my, my own family and Heidi is just so gracious in that regard to me, and I'm so thankful for her. In that moment, I think it was, uh, um, well, it was defining for both of us. Of course, I felt kind of mad, but my heart was broken for him because I, because I know the shame that he carries that. So even like, it's, it's kind of how, I like how it, it digs up old emotion. Um, but I was just thinking this morning, just as I was praying, um, like God carried our shame on the cross and he doesn't need to feel that anymore. There's the, the heartbreak 
of what that could do to, to hurt the people you love. But um, I think a few years before that time that he shared, I think I would have been really mad and reacted. And um, I've learned by trial and error, unfortunately, but that um, my reaction will determine whether he's gonna do this, like share with me again and continue to be honest with me about his struggles. And if I want our marriage to continue to be healthy, that might feel like an unhealthy moment because it happened, but it actually is a healthy moment where he feels safe to share that with me. And um, my response is everything. And um, of course he knew I was upset, um, but I also wanted him to know I love him no matter what. And, and I also needed to say like, what I'm, what am I doing to make you feel like you needed to see that, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's... And it's not always, it's not always, like, it's my fault that he did that, necessarily, but, um, but it's a good question to ask. Yeah. I guess... Yeah, it is not your fault, and I think the women just need to know that that is not your shame or blame to carry. I, you know what I feel in a male culture that we're in? The kind of, it's no big deal. I just feel like I want our men to be more sensitive to sin. And I know it feels foolish, like, other men can say, well, I can handle it, or why are you so sensitive over stupid stuff? It's no big deal, it's just a small thing. It's not a small thing. Not unless you just keep quenching the spirit and cauterizing your own heart. And I just, I feel more embarrassed, I think sometimes, to be a part of a male culture where I feel like an outsider. And I just want you to know that it's okay to feel sensitive to sin. Even though it just feels like right now, so not manly, because some of you are feeling like that is just nothing compared to me. Well then feel something about wherever you're at. And that trickles down yeah. into family, that trickles down into your kids, and our kids know boundaries and standards we'd set with just like what we watch, um, our conversation, and that sort of thing, and um, they feel like they stand out sometimes, like they are kind of outsiders. And yet on the other hand, they're happy. Yeah. And I look at kids that are followers, and they're not happy. I mean, to me, it's just like one plus one is two. Yeah. We're gonna talk you about ready that to, later, but yeah. You ready to cruise? Drill. Um, once you go to a that fifth place, you're overly friendly or flirtatious in your behavior around the opposite sex. And then you're seeking out attention, whether you know it or not, and affirmation from the opposite sex. And this is a real big, um, I think, watershed moment, is when you share with them a disappointment in your current marriage. And even furthermore, getting more specific with them about unmet needs or nagging frustrations with the opposite sex. That's just a no-no. That's when you know you're on the precipice of the danger zone. And because then you feel like they listen to and relate to you and understand and care. And of course they do. 
until you get a divorce and you hook up with them and then you become familiar to them and they don't care about you and then somebody else understands and cares and will listen to you. It's all just a big cycle. When will we get this? And then you go out of your way to have more contact with them, to just see them more. And then you're letting them know how they make you feel special and valued. That's just sort of a way to lob out, to kind of get a read on whether they're feeling what you're feeling. And I put this in parentheses. You're waiting to see if they reciprocate emotional attraction. When you say you make me feel special or valued. And then if they do, one or the other makes this bold move either physically or verbally. I've noticed the new way to do it is just sexting because you can be away from them and you can be bold about saying things and you can get your heart racing and that's just new in our culture but that's where people make some bold moves and keep sort of seeing what you're going to respond and how, if you're in the middle of that right now, just stop. Stop it. It's not worth it. And then playfully talking about what you wish could happen with them. You know, my wife doesn't like to kayak, but <laughs> wouldn't it be cool to go kayaking together? We share so many things in common. You like the mountains, I like the mountains. You like MMA, I like MMA. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up at this point. You just, you do. You just start like, I wish my wife liked to go out and have a romantic dinner, but she doesn't. She just likes to stay at home and watch Netflix. It's just that kind of thing. And then um, you set up times to get together outside normal rhythms of life. And then the romance moves from emotional to verbal to physical to sexual. And sometimes it takes a week. Most of the time it takes months. Sometimes it takes years. And then the last is the physical act of sex occurs and the last of a thousand lines is crossed. And I'm talking thousands. And I, I don't want to leave you there. I want to just get to the end and then we got to get over to the campus to share with them. But how to fight for an affair-proof marriage. Um, and we'll just put these things online for you to... This is just some of the stuff that means um, something to us that keeps us connected and in love with each other. Keep dating each other regularly. And it's like, I don't have time. You got to make time. You got to make sacred time in your schedule for this. Please, you got to keep dating and pursuing the other person. Keep focusing on meeting the other person's needs. We read that in the text. But I think that's really close to number three is keep being honest about your unmet desires. Those two got to go to hand in hand. You can't be like, well, I just focus on their needs, but I'm not letting them know where my soul is broken and there's unmet needs. Stay between two and three, going back and forth, being selfless, but also caring about your own soul, having a voice and staying honest. Keep saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Make sure you tuck in, I was wrong. Uh, not, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Sorry you felt that way. <laughs> sorry. No, no, no. Sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I, don't, I can't tell you how many times we are in a hole so deep. I'm like, we'll never get out of this. And somebody says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And I'm telling you, I am never more attracted to her or her me when apology happens. That's just free uh, advice, free foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> 
keep your priorities, God, your soul. You can't love your neighbor until you learn how to love yourself. And that she went into a little bit of that. If she doesn't like her body, she doesn't even like that I like her body. It's just a weird thing. You gotta know your soul. Keep sensitive to sin, practicing radical amputation when tempted. I don't care if you look like a fool. Be a fool for Christ. Paul said, I'm a fool for Christ. Keep surrendering your rights, starving your egos, serving the needs of the other person and sacrificing. Keep meeting with an accountability partner who asks hard questions, men and women. And keep following the truth no matter how you feel in the moment. Trust God's truth. You are mentioning that, and then we'll just kind of close in prayer, how important it is to follow I just, the truth. Like conversation after conversation, my own experience is um, feelings follow obedience. Hmm. And there's a lot that God tells us to do and it's not because he's a dictator it's because he's a loving father and wants to guard and protect our hearts from hurt and from damage and it's just like we you know might immunize our kids or you do things that might hurt them and they don't understand but but we feel like it's what's best for them and and that's who God is and that's he's our father that is calling us to a life of obedience not to dictate or control but because he loves us and wants to guard our hearts and protect us and Sometimes that some of that stuff might feel so weird or it might be like, that doesn't fit into the culture. It doesn't fit into my friend group. I'm going to be like looked at like, wow, you're a prude or whatever. Are you willing to sacrifice those tiny little things for um, just a life of peace and joy? And I find so much more peace when I'm living in obedience as opposed to when I'm just trying to live out my own agenda. Um, and one last thought too is just, you know, we talk about like sharing each other's needs and I know his needs, he knows mine. And a lot of times when we are in like that just blah place or tense place or whatever, we're waiting for the other person to go first. And it's hard to be the first one to go first. And the feelings may not be there, but when you do that in obedience or you do that just out of love for that person and your love for God, um, it often is reciprocated. And when it's not reciprocated, that's when you just have to lean into God and trust him and continue to live obediently because he can even offer peace when it's not reciprocated. Yeah. Do you know today, 25 years ago today was our first kiss. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday is very special for us. So. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and oh, the first time man. I said I love you to him. The first time he said I love you was over the phone. It was kind of awkward. That was so stupid. Oh, oh, man. Our first kiss, we were in college, and we waited like four or five months. At the time, that felt like an eternity. It we was. probably should have waited a lot longer. Oh, but, but we're at the bottom of the stairs, and she was going to go <coughs> upstairs me. to go to bed, and I was going to go to the bedroom downstairs. Oh, that was so good. Thanks we're out, for... We're out of time. We're out of time. We're out of time. Yeah. I just want to go into what that was like. No, it's okay. But I love you. Love you too. Okay. Can I pray over us today? God, we, uh, we offer this to you. So much more could be said. Maybe too much was said. Can you just give amnesia where we don't need to remember something? And can you just burn and sear something into our heart that we must never forget? We want to be all yours, God. We want our lives 
sexuality, our bodies, our physiques, this, these laws of attraction to bring honor to you. You are the author. Now we make you the authority and we trust the truth and we follow you. Give us freedom as we follow you, God. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. You can come up. The prayer team is up here if you'd like to pray with some.